Well, welcome to today's episode of Conversations. And John and I are so excited about today's conversation and conversation. What was that? Conversations. And we have something amazing to announce. Guess what? We just hit 8 million downloads. That's amazing. We're so excited. We want to celebrate with you guys. So thankful. That's because a lot of you have taken the time to share conversations with your friends. You've jumped on, you've rated, you've subscribed it, and you are all part of that reach. So I want Thanks to just everybody thank everybody for being you. a part of the family. Yeah. And today we're going to be hosting, we thought it was going to be one conversation, but it ended up being so rich. It exploded to two conversations, but this is part one with Pastor Craig Groeschel. You are not going to want to miss this. It was, I mean, John and I were taking notes. I'm like, what? He kept dropping truth bombs. It was amazing. Before we dive into that though, I want to share one of our testimonies. We love it when you guys give us testimonies about what conversations has meant to you. And this one comes from Ben Huff 95. He said, I was on vacation right after the new year and reflecting on how dissatisfied I was with the status of my relationship with Jesus. I felt distant and wanted to feel connected. Listen to this. He searched on Spotify, Voice of God. Listen to that. And found the episode on that. Since then, I am consuming all of your content and have started two courses on Messenger X. We love hearing that. We yeah. love hearing that people. This but was he's just doing like, it with friends. Do the, do the podcast, get on Messenger X, and then he's doing it with some of his friends to God, all the glory. And yes, thank you, John and Lisa, glory. for being amazing servants of the Lord. P.S., The app is world-class in design and functionality. Well done. And thank you for my renewed intimacy. Now, Lisa, everybody that's listening, they can get the app by going to the app store and just type in Messenger X and download it. Or if you've got an Android, just go to Google Play and just type in Messenger X. No space between the R and the X. And it's no charge. And all these courses are available. And you can be just like Ben, who is going through course after course with with your friends. It's so important. Discipleship happens in small groups. Well, today we're going to jump right in to this conversation that we had with Pastor Craig Rochelle, and I am really excited about it. Let's go right to it. Well, Craig, welcome to Conversations with John and Lisa, and the admiration, the love, the respect that we have for you is enormous through the roof. You and Amy started Life Church years ago. Can I ask you this? Did you think it was going to grow into a <laughs> church of this magnitude? Was that in you all along, or has it kind of surprised you? Yeah, no, 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 no. Ne- never in a million years did we uh, picture anything at all like this, and and. I just want to share the love back to you. Um, Amy, and I love you guys so much, and it's an honor to be on with you guys. So thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, let me ask you some questions here as far as yeah. uh, the pandemic. You've had to lead an entire church through this pandemic. And that worked. Yeah. What are some of the things you've learned? What are some of the things you have uh, wish you would have done now looking back? And what are some of the successes that you experienced through the pandemic? Uh, gosh, we could talk for days about this. Um, one of the things that I learned, John, is that there are so many assumptions that I had before about church that I would have kind of bet my life on being true that were not as true, um, as what I thought. So I I was surprised by, uh, so much throughout the pandemic about, um, 
how people connect with each other, how they connect with God, how they don't, when they do, when they don't, um, what keeps them engaged, what doesn't. So there are tons of things like that. Uh, you know, as I, as I look back through it, uh, one thing that I'm really, really thankful for is just the resiliency of God's people. And, uh, you know, we know that years and years ago, Jesus said that he would build the church and the gates of hell would, would not prevail against it. And, and it's just so true. The church um, endures. The people of God are strong and their faith has inspired me. Uh, but it, it's honestly, we had, you know, more challenges uh, that were difficult to, uh, the, we couldn't anticipate and trying to navigate is, was the, um, uh, was and is really the top leadership challenging season that I've had in 26 years of leading the church. And so it's an ongoing process. I feel like we're learning every day. I feel like I'm unlearning a lot and uh, trying to uh, really stay open-minded and not um, not lead based on old assumptions, but uh, asking myself, you know, where have I been wrong in leadership and what, what do we need to change moving forward? So can we dive a little deeper? Yeah, what are, what, what, what are some of the things that you assumed that COVID just really changed your mind and seeing how the church, what we went through through COVID changed your mind? Yeah, so the first thing that was was shocking is like in the in the church world, and, and I hate to be this technical, but it's just true that if when people attend a physical church, they're more likely to be engaged, and if they don't attend, they're not likely to be generous. That that's just a kind of like a well accepted fact forever and ever and ever, and then that was proven to be not true. Meaning, um, the moment they stopped attending physically we just assumed it would be financial hardship. And what happened is they actually gave more generously, which was tremendously shocking and did not expect it. Uh, and so the way that they engaged and their level of commitment, it was just different than what I had expected before. What we saw um, immediately when the door shut is that kind of the um, online engagement shot through the roof uh, greater than we ever expected. But it didn't stay there, and I think a lot of pastors were fooled by numbers that just weren't necessarily real or weren't interpreted accurately, and so there was a spike followed by a sharp decline. Uh, and so really our strategy of how do we engage people, uh, I used to think so much that it would happen um, in the weekend experience, and what I learned is it really shifted to not trying to get them into a church building, which of course, unapologetically, forever and ever, we hope to gather, we will gather, um, that's a core value, but rather than just getting them to the church, what we realize is we need to get the church to them, we need to get the message to them, we need to engage them in the other 167 hours of the week, uh, not just try to engage them in the one hour week. So our strategy of connecting people with each other, engaging them in ministry, um, connect them with God, it shifted significantly from where it was before, and I think is it was a good and appropriate shift. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if it kind of got all of us to realize how important true discipleship is, and mm -hmm. true discipleship happens in a smaller group. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm just wondering if it really caused us, almost moved all of us to say, how do we get be believers to gather and then serve their communities, serve their neighborhoods, mm -hmm. uh, not being motivated in the big building atmosphere. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it is really true. You see in the Bible, you see houses and churches, and then you see houses, them gathering at Solomon's porch, you know, the big area. Mm -hmm. And it, it's almost like you can see, I think it, what it helped me do is see the real value of smaller gatherings, mm -hmm. not to take away from the larger gatherings, because 
you know, one thing I know I missed when uh, we came out of the pandemic, uh, I remember the first real conference I got invited to after five months of being home, I just realized how much I missed that corporate presence mm -hmm. of God, the, the, the presence that comes when, when the body of Christ gathers together and worships. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that, that's one thing I really missed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree so much. And, and the, uh, uh, I mean, my first time back in a, in a corporate gathering, I cried and cried and cried. And there, there's, something, yep. there's something about yep. uh, experiencing the presence of God in community. And I think I, I remember um, John and Lisa, when I was a, kind of a new, brand new Christian, my pastor talked about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And that was like revolutionary because I grew up thinking that God was a far away God that you couldn't know, but to have a relationship was, uh, it was so profound to me. The, uh, I think the mistake, or I'd say the evolution of my faith is that a real, a deep relationship of Jesus isn't just personal, but when you look at the New Testament, it's really more of a corporate or a shared relationship with Jesus. And so I think that's one of the, you know, one of the benefits of the, uh, the rough days of the pandemic is it really helped us all to see just how much we need each other. And we really experienced the presence of God way, way better together than we do apart. And, uh, and so it, it, it really brings definition of, you know, what is the church? What is the gathering? Is a gathering, can a gathering be online? And I think the answer is yes, it can. It can, is that full and complete? I think, you know, no, there's things we can do gathered together physically that we can't do online. And there's also ways we can reach people and minister online that we can't do um, physically. So in many ways, what it did is it forced us to um, shed some of our preferences uh, to be practical in ministry yes, and and opened up opportunities, I think, to do the work of the gospel in ways that maybe we we just didn't see as possible before. I would love to ask you a question. We recently hosted an event and it was all around families. And one question kept coming up in the minds of parents. And I, I'm sure you as, as a pastor, you and Amy have actually faced off on that. And that is a whole generation coming into a place where they're deconstructing their faith mm -hmm. and leaving the church and questioning everything. What, what are you seeing and how are you addressing that? Mm -hmm. It's interesting uh, because, you know, like you said, th those are, um, that's a real common and popular topic in conversation. And I don't know if it's just because of my local context, but I, I'm way more optimistic in what I see in the emerging generation because what I see is kind of what I call like um, authentic discussion. Uh, and so I'm not afraid like like the word deconstruction is often considered to be a really bad word in the church world because it means people are leaving the faith. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It can mean that, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of baggage around that word. There's there's a lot of kind of negative um, perceptions around the word. But in many ways, Jesus kind of helped some people deconstruct when he would say things like, um, "You've heard it said before this, but I say to you, whatever." What what he was doing was he was kind of unpacking wrong thoughts. And so yeah. I think if, um, if any of us are growing closer to Jesus, I know it, it, some of my early theological beliefs, I couldn't even say on here, they're too embarrassing. I, I just, Same. I was so off, so wrong, and uh, just assumed things, to, taught things that were really not true at all. 
And so in a sense, even though I didn't have the word, I was deconstructing my faith, learning, okay, that's not actually in the Bible, and this is. And so um, in, in many ways, I, I had a season of deconstruction uh, as well. And so I don't think we should get hung up on the word. What I think we should be incredibly passionate about with the emerging generation is we have to give them room and permission to doubt and ask questions. And if we don't dialogue with them, they leave. If we uh, don't give them permission to um, push back or to say, I disagree, then we, 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 then we become legalistic and pharisaical. And I think that's really dangerous. And so I'm just optimistic. I like the conversations. I like the questions. I like the fact that they're willing to dialogue and ask. Um, will they, you know, is it all good that people are leaving the church? And, and you know, I think that is um, obviously happening. I don't think it's as widespread as it seems. What I think is that there's, um, it's easy for people to gather online. And so there can be a lot of attention brought to a few people that are real vocal about this. But I, I just, I have a sense that there's, there's a spiritual hunger in the emerging generation that I'm excited about. And so I, um, I'm looking at it realistically, not worried and trying not to push back or to say this is wrong, but instead enter into it and have a real dialogue and say, hey, if you got some questions, if you got some hurts, if you've got some things you don't like, yeah, we probably have messed up in some places. Let's talk about it. Let's look at, let's look at scripture. Hey, let, let's acknowledge the church doesn't always get it right, but let's look to Jesus. Let's look to who he is, what he claims to be, how, what he teaches, and um, let's just see if we can start there and have some real dialogue around Jesus. You know, I... I've been saying, and I feel this in my heart, that we've just experienced a uh, sabbatical before the greatest move of God the earth's ever seen. I just believe that, you know, I, I look back, and in the 70s, we had the the, the, um, Jesus the charismatic move. Mo Jesus move. Mm -hmm. And really, there hasn't been anything that's really touched our entire nation since. And I know I, in talking to our sons, I've told them about things that were happening back in the 70s and 80s as far as what God was doing, the massive amount of souls that came into the kingdom. And there is a real hunger in them for that kind of a move of God. And I, I don't want to see it just be in one location. I believe, you know, just as God said, it's going to cover the earth. And I believe there is a massive amount of people out there that are getting a little more hungry because times are getting a little bit more difficult. And they're asking good questions. And the fact mm -hmm. that you are postured to be able to say, let's dialogue, let's talk. Mm -hmm. It means you're secure in the fact that you know the creator of the universe. You know what he has spoken and what he is speaking in his word. And you have answers. And we're not afraid of that. And I love that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. Glassdoor has named um, your team the number one team to work for uh, for the last two years. Yeah. So obviously you've built a culture that is absolutely amazing where people are motivated. They love working together. I know that's really important to us, Craig. Uh, can you share maybe some of the cultural values that you really emphasize that really bring that kind of a, um, a delight in the workers uh, of Life Church? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm, you know, I'm really humbled to have that our team received that award. I can't take credit for it because the truth is, I've just got really, really great people that are creating a, a great culture, and it's really, really intentional. It takes a lot of work, um, and I think that's kind of the key is that you're never going to have an incredible workplace by accident. You have to be ridiculously yeah. intentional in all that you do, and so uh, I, th I think the way you ask the question, John, is really the, the accurate way is what are the cultural values because culture 
um, it it really trumps everything. It's the it's the guardrails, the bumper. It's what it, it's what keeps things together. And so some of the values that we have culturally, we have kind of what we call core values for the church. We have behavioral values, um, and those are two separate things. Uh, but the like the heart behind the church, we. We, we did, and I hope this isn't too, much, too many details, but instead of just having like a word, like we value integrity or we value evangelism, we tried to create some structure around it. So with evangelism, we say this, we say, we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people no one's d- reaching, we'll have to do things no one's doing. And so there's, yeah. there's, I want some emotion around it. I want them to be able to feel it. We value generosity, but we don't just say it that way. Yeah. Um, we try to model it by giving away the Uversion Bible app, by giving away as many free resources as we can, by giving away the drawings to our buildings, to give it all. And so we say, we'll lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, and so we'll take these kind of things and, and try to um, really infiltrate it into every corner of the church world. We say things like this um, to the church family all the time, that um, we are not spiritual consumers, we are spiritual contributors, because the church doesn't exist wow. for us, we're the church and we exist for the world. And that. so they're, they're, little, they're phrases that mean a lot to us, that they're really emotional, and then we'll drive this over and over and over and over. It's ridiculous. It's like what I tell people is, is that you want to drive values 10 times more than you think is necessary. And once you've done that, double it. Meaning every meeting, um, every gathering, every time we're going we're to tell stories, we're going to celebrate the wins, we're going to correct the losses. And then when you really create a strong and a vibrant culture, um, the culture tends to correct any type of behavior that gets outside of those values. And so what we value determines what we do, what we believe determines how we behave. And so we have to be ridiculously clear on values, not just core values, but behavioral values. How do we behave? And so when we interview people for the team, we're looking at heart values, but we're also looking at behavioral values. We, we want people who show initiative. We want people who are resilient. Um, we want people who are culturally relevant. We want people that are fun to be around us. So we have a whole list of um, behavioral values. How do the best um, performers behave? Um, how do they work? How do they, they think? And so yeah. we run everything. You, you, can, you can teach skills, but you can't teach values. So we want to make sure we have common values and that's that's the core of everything we do and it takes more work more intentionality than than you can imagine but the end result is really worth the effort wow i love this i um i love that you've actually somehow been able to not just pastor but to actually really empower leadership Mm -hmm. i know our entire team has been ministered to by your leadership podcast i know my team will send me things and say mom mom you need to listen to this and i think i shared with you one time there was one that i was like oh my gosh i am so guilty and that was the point that if the leader sees a problem and doesn't address it, then the leader becomes the problem. We've and quoted that to each other yes, several we have. times. We have, because I was kind of like, I'd rather not address it. Let's just see if it gets so bad that the, just give them rope enough to hang themselves. And then you're like, oh, no, no, that was that I fostered something that I should not have fostered. Mm. And you have, uh, so you're talking about very intentionality about culture, very intentionality about leadership. Um, how have you seen that interact with do you believe in empowering women? Do you have uh, men leader and women leaders? Because you know the church historically is kind of like the men can lead, the women can't lead. Is that mm-hmm. something that you empower across both genders? Uh, well, I, I just when I read scripture, I see that God created male and female, 
And when I read scripture, I see just uh, unlimited examples of women in leadership. And uh, they, you know, they may not have had some of the traditional titles that we've, right. that we have today. But you, you know, you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see sometimes in the absence of male leadership, women would rise to make a difference. And so, yeah, we 100%. In in fact, I'd have to check the numbers, but I think in what we would call, you know, the, um, the business world, they might call it the executive leaders. We call it something else. But in our top level of leadership, I think we have more women uh, than men. At, um, at that layer, and I just think that we're incomplete without all God's people. That you, you know, it's not popular to say in today's culture, um, and it's I'm sad about it. But but men and women are different, and um, you know we have of course we have similarities, but we have different strengths. And there, there's a certain way that men generally, and this is not, not always true, but men generally will see things from one perspective. And without a um, uh, counterbalanced perspective that um, women bring by the way that they're created, we, we're incredibly incomplete. And uh, so we, whenever, whenever we're interviewing, it's not like, you know, hey, we need a woman, we need a man. What we need is we need the best person for the job, whatever that person is. Um, we're excited to bring them on to the, the role. And so uh, I am thankful for both our women and men leaders, and we would be incomplete without both. Okay, so you eat, sleep, drink, breathe leadership. Mm -hmm. What drew you to that? Was it just something always that you valued being in athletics in high school? Or is this something that you saw a great, um, a great gap? A great lacking in the in the, in the church, or and in, in the church needed to do things. What really drew you to really becoming not only a student but now a professor of leadership? Well, thank you. That's I I, I don't know why, but when I look at anything, um, I feel the leadership, or I feel the absence of leadership. I I appreciate it. I value it. To me, leadership is profoundly spiritual. I mean, it is spiritual. You can pray, and that's spiritual. You can fast, and that's spiritual. You can go on a mission trip, and that's spiritual. You can prophesy, and that's spiritual. You can lead, and that's spiritual. And the thing about leadership is leadership can impact all of the other spiritual gifts. Uh, and so to, to when I look at Jesus, you know, he's obviously all of the Everything spiritual we know, he's the son of God. He was sinless. He was perfect. He came uh, for the broken. He came for, the, he came for the sick. He came to bring life. He came to push back the forces of darkness. He came for the broken. He came for the outcast. And, but what did he do? I mean, the guy led. <laughs> he, he recruited yeah. people that everyone else overlooked. He um, trained them on kingdom values. He empowered them. He created systems. He sent them out two by two. He delegated. He didn't just give them tasks, but he gave them authority. He told them to go into all the world, baptize the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave them the what. He gave them the where. He didn't give them the how, right? He trusted them with the how. And so uh, it, is, it is all spiritual and it's all leadership and it's, it's, it's both. And so I find that one of the best ways to honor God is to lead well. And sometimes we get criticism for that. They're like going, you know, the church is, is run too much like a business. Like, okay, so what do you want? You want the church not to pay its bills? You want the church not, right. not to lead people well? You want the church no not structure. to be true to its word? You, you know, to say it's run well, that's a, that's a great compliment and that's God honoring. So I just, it's, I'm really passionate about it. And I think that we should never apologize for seeking to lead well. That's, it's, 
um, that's one of the that's one of the most spiritual and God honoring things we can do. So I'm gonna say there's a lot of pastors that listen to our our podcast. Um, what percentage of time did you feel like you had something really that you felt you were supposed to do, but you felt kind of alone? And what did you do to bring the rest of the team on board with that vision? As a leader. As, As a, a leader. leader. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, it, has there been times, first of all, has there been times when you really felt like you guys were supposed to do something and yet your team wasn't on board with you? How did you, how did you handle that situation? I would say this, and, and I hope I don't disappoint you with this answer, but I would say there are times when my team felt like we were supposed to do something and I wasn't there yet and they had to bring me on board. And so okay. I would say that happens probably more often than the other, meaning... And how do they do that? How do they do that in a way that helps you to see? One of the most important things you could have in any organization is you have to empower people to lead up. And uh, what we do, if you're in point leadership, it's, you know, we are often the greatest catalyst to what God wants to do, but we're probably more often than not, we're the greatest hindrance. And yeah. so what's interesting is we can start off in the early years and lead with great, bold faith. And then sometimes we get tentative. Sometimes we start to want to protect what we have. Sometimes we get afraid. And so honestly, uh, probably it, it happens more often that they're bringing me along than I'm bringing them along because sometimes I just don't have the faith for something or i am got my head down too much um, studying to preach and I haven't been looking on the horizon to see what's coming in leadership. And so I think it happens both ways. Uh, on the other end, if I have a... Well, let, let's stop there yeah. before we go to the other mm -hmm. end. How, how, how is it most effective for your team members to communicate something like that to you? Let's say you don't see it right away. Mm -hmm. So obviously you're going to say, do you say, guys, let me sleep on it. Let me think about it. Do, guys, can you, can you present it to me in a different way? I mean, there, there, there is a, there's a really wrong way... Mm -hmm to bring something to a leader, uh, almost like where you're, you're saying, Hey, you're missing it. You're not doing well, mm -hmm. because this is what a lot of these, a lot of these pastors that I've encountered deal mm -hmm. with. They're like, gosh, it may have been a good idea, but the way it was presented to me was just, right. it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't effective. So what, what as a leader, and this is, I'm, I'm trying to dig down mm -hmm. to something here that I hope will help everybody. <clears throat> what, what would get your attention quicker with the people that are leading up to you? So it's all right, they're su su yep. super important. And what I would say is in some cultures, there's almost no right way to do it because it's set up to where you're punished if you do. There's no openness. It's never rewarded. And so in some cultures, it's almost impossible to lead up. In other cultures, I'd say it's almost po impossible to do the wrong way because we crave it around here. Meaning uh, if you don't th this morning, uh, so I'm a little bit sick today. And I was shooting a video, and I said, do I look as bad as I feel? And my camera guy said, well, you actually don't look great. I'm shooting you a little wider today. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you that. I said, the fact that you told me that means I trust you all the more. Meaning, right. if you told me something else, like how can I trust you? So um, in a culture where honesty um, trumps uh, political correctness, or uh, if you're only going to tell me what I want to hear, you're not valuable. We're, we can't go anywhere. And so what I want to do is I want to create a culture where it's almost impossible to tell me something I don't want to hear that's true in a wrong way. 
Now, is there a better time? Certainly. Is there a better way to not be a jerk or rude about it? Certainly. But what I want to do is I want to create an environment where your feedback matters. And this, we could chase a, we could chase a whole um, rabbit here, but creating a culture that craves and gives feedback is essential to being great. And we've got like layers and layers of strategy of how we do this, but it's all the way. We start in the interview process, meaning we are testing people for their ability to give and receive feedback in the interview process. Then in their um, immediate training, we're, we're dr drilling it into them. That's one of the highest values we have here. And so I want, if I'm not seeing it, I want someone to be able to say, you're not seeing it. I want anybody on the team to be able to do it. And I have okay. to receive it or it's not going to happen um, outwardly. Now, if you want to get technical, uh, it's probably better not to give me that feedback on a Monday because my mind's not as clear on you're Monday. You're worn out. It, for me, <laughs> yeah. Once yeah. the me once the yeah. message is done and built by Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon or Thursday, I'll actually be paying more attention. I won't be as stressed. So there are some technical things like that. Um, the way that you tell somebody uh, really, really matters a lot. Some people are insecure. Some people don't want to re receive criticism. Uh, who tells them, when they tell them, all that matters. But the bottom line is we want to cr create a culture that uh, – People aren't afraid to get it wrong because they know most of the time it's going to be received well. So we have a culture the exact same way. I mean, nobody leads up more than my sons and wife, right? And so that has been modeled our team. So our team always feels very, very comfortable to say, uh, we don't agree with you. But where I'm trying to really, and I'm, I'm interested in this, what if one of your team members says, Craig, I really believe we're supposed to start a campus in St. Louis, mm -hmm. Missouri. And what if he, you, you just, in, in your gut, you feel, mm, this isn't right. That's the kind of decisions that I'm looking for, you know, or situations I'm looking for. And they keep persisting. I, I, I really think we're supposed to start campus in St. Louis. But inside, you're like, I don't feel right about it. Maybe it's not right time. I just don't feel mm -hmm. to do it. Have you ever encountered something like that? Yes. And so here's what's, and this is just not true everywhere, but this is true here. Those times are so rare that all I have to do is say, I really don't feel right about it. And that would be, there would be so many exclamation points behind that because it would be so rare that I would say it. And the reason it would be so rare that I would say it wait. is because I actually wouldn't be involved in that decision hardly ever. Meaning there's a whole team of people that if they came back and said, we think St. Louis is right, I'd say St. Louis is right. Why? Because there's a whole team of people that we empowered that know more than I do to come back and tell me that. So it would, it like, it, let, me, let me just give you an example. There are two times in the last two years that I've made organizational changes. One was um, probably nine years ago when I felt like uh, our student ministry was not as effective. What I felt like what was happening is um, the church kids weren't coming and we were not discipling kids. They were basically, they were going to college and losing their faith. And so um, I came in the first time in a long time deep in the organization and said, let's restructure to go with more of a, we're evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. Let's restructure to go with a small group model, heavy, heavy, heavy on discipleship. And I changed that. Just recently, I came back in, and so we have 39 locations, right? Uh, and our, our forever and ever, what we say is, if we can't do it everywhere, we don't do it anywhere. So we're not making exceptions. We kind of like, if you go to Chick-fil-A or, you know, you know what you're going to get. So we have that kind of yeah. same thing. Well, yeah. what I recognize is our church is 26 years old now. We have a very young staff, but our average age of our church is now 36, and I'd rather it be 31. So what we're not going to do is we're not going to lose the emerging generation. We don't have anything specific for them. 
I don't want to go hire 39 young adult pastors. Yeah. That's just not a good plan. But what we just, what I decided is in the Oklahoma City area where we have like 10 or 11 locations and in Tulsa where we have seven or eight, we're going to do a one night, one month young adult event. And the reason I want to do this is because I want them to gather. I want them to connect with each other. Also, guess what? I want to train up young communicators. We don't have a whole lot of young communicators that yeah. are weekend ready right now. We have a few. I want yeah. I want 20 that are weekend ready. And so um, this was an initiative that I brought. And what I'm telling you, God is my witness. Those are the two, period, done, and out. Nothing else. Everything else, last 10 years, I, I haven't inter interrupted, interfered with because I don't have to because the team is that good. And it, that's, I mean, that's it. People think I'm involved in everything, but it, it, a leader's importance is not based on what they know or what they do, but who they empower. And what you want to do is you want to create a culture where everyone else is an expert. If they bring back a recommendation, then I'm about 99.999% sure they're accurate. And it's going to be really, 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 really incredibly wow. rare that I'm going to step in and change direction. That's wow. phenomenal. I love that. Well, that does reflect how you have developed this group this leadership team and that you've, you've, you've taught them well and you've guided them well for their gifts and their ideas and their um, wisdom to be able to flourish in your environment. And I think that's what makes it a great work environment. Thank you. It, it really is. And I can't overstate this, that the, in order to do more, you do less, you empower people more. And to give an example, for whatever reason, this seems to impact people. Who do you think that I interview for the church? And I can go through some examples. Would I interview my personal assistant? And the answer would probably be obviously yes. My assistant has two assistants I work with every day. Would I interview them? You'd probably say yes. Would I interview a campus pastor? You'd probably say no. yes. Would I interview the CEO of Uversion, 500 million downloads? You'd probably say yes. The CFO who oversees tens of millions of dollars, you'd probably say yes. The person who oversees 60 youth pastors, you'd probably say yes. Would I interview the individual youth pastors? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and we, the list could go on and on and on. Um, would I interview our attorney that we hired? Would I interview our head architect that builds all the buildings? You know, whatever. Um, and the answer is, of all those roles, the only one I interviewed was for my personal assistant, wow. period. None of the other ones. Wow. None of the other ones. And the reason is because I've got people that are better interviewers than I am. We, uh, we in the early years, I did every single one. I trained every single one. But if I had to be involved in all those decisions, then I would be saying to other people, I don't trust you. And the bottom line is I trust you all the way down. And I, I, I want to say this, um, in, uh, I have never once on a single weekend visited one of our locations and ever gotten up on stage, never once. I just went and visited our brand new location in um, McKinney, Texas. I'm sorry, um, in the McKinney, Texas. And the campus pastor did not announce that I was there. I didn't wave at anybody. All I did was greet in the lobby. I went there for me. If I had gotten up on stage, what I would have done is I would have said, hey, move over, junior leader. The main leader is here. And that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to empower the leaders. So wow. people misinterpret multi-side a lot. They think it's about the guy on the screen or whatever. It's not. It's less about the point leader. It's more about the other leaders. And then when you, when you delegate that kind of authority, what happens is you don't lose leaders, meaning in our top level of leadership – they just don't leave. They, I mean, they stay forever and ever. My executive level team, they've been with me for 23 of the 26 years. Wow. They don't leave. I don't fire them. We, we, we're t we're, um, they're indispensable. And, and when I tell you I didn't create the culture that is great, 
I did not create the culture that's great. I have a great team of leaders that created the culture that's great. I give them all the credit in the world. I didn't come up with you version. That was Bobby Grumel's idea. I don't oversee the campuses. That's Sam Roberts. I didn't come up with Church Online. That was someone else's idea. I didn't come up with free resources. In fact, I was against free resources because I didn't think we'd afford to give it away. I mean, you know, 99.9% .9 of the ideas I didn't come up with. I just um, trusted people that are better in their areas than I am. So what do you give yourself to? What's a uh, what's your time given to? Is it study of the word and podcasts like these and, and ministering of the word? T t tell me what your time is given to now in developing such a, a, a great team with you. Yes. Oddly enough, my favorite thing to do is to do leadership development. And unfortunately, I don't do as much of that as I'd like because studying to preach and to teach, it takes up most of my time. I don't feel like that's um, my dominant gift. I feel like I'm actually a better leader than I am communicator. Like I watch some communicators and go, oh my gosh, I wish I could preach like that. But I study um, quite a bit. And then what I do is I um, uh, meet with uh, key leaders occasionally. I do a lot of what I call kind of deep dive into um, asset allocation. I'm really big into stewarding resources. So I'm way on top of, uh, not in the weeds, but on high level percentages of managing the resources so that we can maximize them for kingdom gain. So I look at um, where how we're allocating funds. I look at a lot of percentages. I do um, content development, and then I do leadership development, uh, maybe half a day a week uh, of that. Wow. Wow, Lisa, that was absolutely amazing. And uh, guys, if you really enjoyed that, I think the, the conversation actually got better the second half. I don't know how you can get much better in that first half, but it actually just went deeper and deeper, and it was so good. Um, if you guys are not listening to Pastor Craig's leadership podcast, you just need to go download it and listen to it. I know We have I the get, link in our show notes. Yes, and yeah. we got the link in our show notes. I, I get so much strength and so much insight out of it. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom that just pours out of this man of God's mouth. And we just want to thank you guys for all being a part of the uh, Conversations family. And the fact that you rate and review and you actually subscribe to the program, it helps other people be able to get this podcast. And now here we are with a big, massive family all over the world. Lisa, I know I'm delighted. Everywhere I travel, people come up and say, hey, we listen to your uh, Conversations podcast constantly. So we love being a part of your family. We love being able to help after 40 years of marriage and about 35 years of ministry, being able to pour into your life so that you too can be successful in what God has called you to do. So until next time, we when we do part two of this conversation with Craig, we want you to know that we love you. And this has been Conversations with John and Lisa. Thanks for listening to Conversations with John and Lisa. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. You can subscribe and share these episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows in the Messenger Podcast Network, including The Godmother with Lisa Bevere, Let's Talk About It with Sons and Daughters, and The Messenger Podcast. You can also connect with John and Lisa through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget, you can download the Messenger X app today in the App Store. Until next time.